Welcome to the Scuttlebutt Podcast. Uh, this is Rich, and this evening, coming to us all the way from Kentucky via the uh, miracle of the internet, well, we had more than one attempt at a miracle today, <laughs> is Conrad Lanham. And can you tell me, sir, you were just saying that uh, you guys have a long history, your, your name has a long history in uh, Kentucky. Yep, yep. We, uh, the Lanhams, we're actually from central Kentucky around uh, Springfield and Bardstown. Uh, so we we came to Kentucky and uh, after the Revolutionary War times and, um, you know, kind of at the beginning of the state. So we've been in Kentucky as far back as I've been able to trace it. Well, that's cool. Yeah. That's very cool. So you, you, you've been there through all of the, the uproar and, and everything else and uh, this little scuffle with the, with the fur prices is no big deal for you. Oh yeah, well we'll see. Uh, we're definitely in some uncharted territory right now. I think. Well, it seems every trapper has a day job. Uh, what's yours? Uh, well, my day job is I work for uh, the largest police department in the state. I do. Uh, I started there, 2014. Started writing policy, and uh, that's what I went to college for. I got my master's in science and criminal justice. Uh, six long years at Eastern Kentucky University. Wow. Yeah, so, um, and then I went into um, the technology side of it. So I've been doing that for about six months now, um, which is fascinating because you got, you know, body cameras, phones, you know, every officer has a computer, every uh, every car has its own Wi-Fi modem. So it's, you know, there's always something to do there. No kidding. That's fascinating. Yeah. You don't, don't think about it. You, you're one of those, those guys behind the scene that make it all work and, and uh, they're probably more responsible for more uh, episodes of CSI than anybody else, right? <laughs> yep. There's a, I'd, I'd say our police department, I think, is around 1,200 officers sworn. And um, let's see, probably, I, I want to say around 250 civilians supporting that. Wow. That's, um, what, what city are you, are you near? What city is this? Uh, in? That's in Louisville, Louisville Metro Police Department. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's a big city. It's, uh, I, I think the city's maybe around 700,000, something like that. That is a good size city. Yes, it is. Pretty city. But we're, I'm out, um, I'm about 45 minutes outside of the city. So okay. we got a pretty good trapping area, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so when did you start trapping? Well, uh, the first thing I can remember trapping is uh, kind of a funny story. Me and my cousin, we raided our grandparents' house of all the mouse traps, and we'd go set them in the barns. So I don't know if it was that trapper instinct or uh, <laughs> what that represents, but we lost a lot of mouse traps, I think, to rats and raccoons. But uh, <laughs> I was probably eight years old, and we always caught raccoons on the farm. But I started trapping. Uh, solely for fur when I was old enough to drive. So okay. I, I didn't have a method to get out to all the farms the way I needed to before. So uh, when I turned 16, I was trapping and making, you know, pretty good little checks for a teenager in high school. Uh, getting Canadian checks from NAFA was pretty fun. <laughs> well, I actually met you uh, up here in my backyard. Yeah, in, in, here yeah in uh, 2014, yeah, I was, uh, got the opportunity to go to uh, with the Wild Fur Shippers Council. Um, 
got to travel up there and uh, stay at Gordy Clausen's place. And I was just amazed. Um, that was my first time on an airplane, too. So, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, it was not a fun flight from Kentucky all the way up there. It's uh, three, three flights, one to Chicago, then to Calgary, then to Grand Prairie. So I was yeah. about uh, airsick by the time I got up there. But Oh, you'd never, re- you'd never make it going to New Zealand or Africa then. <laughs> <laughs> that, that last flight to Grand Prairie with the uh, prop plane was just loud, and I think I was about to – I probably looked green. Oh, you know. they should paint them green. We call them the lawn boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was rough. But, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it up there. It was, uh, it was May, I think, and it was – still cold something what uh, what yep. i wasn't used to yep. so um here we are you know end of april here i've probably mowed six or seven times my yard six or seven times i've mowed already so uh, <laughs> i'm starting to see a bit of my lawn the snow is melted <laughs> <enough. laughs> yeah matter of fact we're in the middle of a big a big uh flood right now we went from not having really any spring and then just it, it got really warm in most of the, you know, the snow has been going over the last couple of days and we've got a, you know how it is with governments. Anyway, we've got a, an issue with, with the government uh, and they drain their highway. They drain two ditches of their highway across our quarter section. And of course, and then as it leaves our quarter section, it crosses the road to our house. And I ended up having to pull my, my culvert out because uh, the water was built up so much. It was, it's hundreds of yards down there and, and it was uh, backing up to the house and I, I don't want to do any damage to the house. So I can always put another culvert in or whatever, but I can't, uh, I don't want to flood the house, but that was, had nothing to do with anything other than just the fact that we melted so fast. You know, there was so much right. water coming and nothing you could do about it. Right. Normally there's not even, uh, it's not even a wet spot there in the summertime, but you got all that. Sounds like a, melt. a foreign concept to me. <laughs> Oh really? We don't. Oh yeah, we don't have a big. You know, if if we have a big snow, it melts right away. So it's just kind of like, you know, our flooding comes from rains most of the time, not a spring melt. So, hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here, and I bet you are just like me, and the day can't start without that first cup of coffee. For me, it's Stout Maple Old Smoke Coffee's darkest roast, strong, aromatic, and smooth that gets me revved up and ready for whatever the day throws at me. Old Smokes roast their coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood used. Old Smokes makes a perfect roast for each person. There are five roasts from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood, for a unique flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH, that's R-I-C-H, and get a free travel bottle on any purchase of $45 of coffee, excluding the Wounded Warriors blend. Just go to oldsmokescoffee.com, that's O-L-E, smokescoffee.com, use the promo code RICH. In these trying times, everybody's trying their best to adapt. Old Smokes is changing the promo rewards every couple of weeks, but every time, from now on, use RICH for the code. Rich will be the only promo code going forward. And what the heck, it's a lot less spelling on that silly phone screen. And now, back to today's show. Tell me then, what, what animals do you trap there? Okay, um, most of the time, um, big raccoon trapper, because that's what we have most of. Uh, we have a lot of coyotes, which are uh, eastern coyotes, a lot different than probably yes. uh, what you all have up there. Uh, 
but yeah, I'm, I'm mostly raccoon and coyote trapper. We have a few foxes. The coyotes have been really hard on them since they've moved in. Um, but most, most of the things I'm targeting are animals that are nuisances on farms around my area. So I got, you know, I have roughly around 10,000 acres of farms in my area. So I try to help out the farmers. And you have to think though, these, these farms are, uh, you know, some of them are as small as 60 acres. So it's a lot of putting together smaller tracts of land to get a decent, you know, trap line strung together right. over a whole county. Yeah. Well, you, you want to be able to be efficient. You don't want to do two traps on 60 acres here and then travel 12 miles to do the next two traps. Right. 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 So I try to make, uh, do as little backtracking as possible and get, be as an efficient. And I think that's, uh, that's one of the things you learn the most as I think I, you know, this is my, be my 18th or 19th year trapping. I've, don't have the experience of some of the old timers, but I'm starting to get the hang of it, I think. Mm -hmm. So uh, you got you to gotta try to be efficient is the main thing. and uh, Not only put out a lot of traps, but put out a lot of traps right. Uh, right. It's all, yeah. So you trap mostly for coyote and raccoon? Yep. That's, that's the moneymaker for me right now. Really? The, the coyote is or the, or the raccoon? Yep. Um, everything's kind of low right now, but, um, in 2013, you know, it's the, it's the great year that I think everybody likes to reference lately. Uh, I've, I sold $52 raccoons. Wow. At wow. the top of $52 and which is saying something for as far South as we are and averaged $30 on some raccoons. A lot of the coyotes I get, there's some black ones, and those are really have a good market for the taxidermist. I can market those up over $200, some of them. Uh, yeah. But, you know, a regular, what I call a commercial grade coyote or whatever around here would be, you know, you're looking at maybe in the $30 average. Right. Well, your eastern coyote is a very, very different animal than our western coyote. Our western coyote is much smaller, um, much more lighter colored. Um, why do you get those those crazy variations? Like you caught one this year that was people thought you'd caught a dog and, and all that kind of stuff. You posted it up on Trapping Inc. on the on the Facebook site. Was that a would that have been a crossbreed or was that a pure breed? Well, from what I've talked, what I've heard talking to the state biologist here is that those would be the same percentage of coyotes as it, any of the other ones in the area. So they just get somewhere along the line. They um, get got a gene from a dog or something. Not a, you know, there's a lot of controversy about it still. So there's, there's no true koi dogs out there right now, but I don't think we have a pure coyote either. <laughs> Well, it, it's funny because the Eastern Coyote doesn't really exist in, in Ontario anymore either. And, and neither did what they call the Eastern Wolf is actually a hybrid between mm -hmm. the, um, the red, no, it's the red wolf, Eastern Wolf. Yeah. The, so the Eastern Wolf has, has crossbred with, with, with coyotes and it creates a much bigger animal than, than either one of them. 
and now they're calling it the oh, red yeah. wolf now, and then they're protecting it and it's it's silly it, it is but you know we if you you get a, a 30 pound coyote it's probably your average coyote in, in, here you know that's that's oh. yeah that's that's it 30 pounds you know um Go ahead, sorry. No, you, your guys' kids run much bigger, don't they? Oh, yeah. Um, a buddy of mine, he won a coyote contest for the big coyote for the year in Kentucky. And it was, um, you know, I'm sure there were some that weren't entered, but it ended up being a 48-pound coyote. Okay. I've, I've got as big as 46 pounds, but that's out in the big bush, right? And those coyotes right. out, out, out in the big bush, they got to compete with the wolves so that they can't be a little pup either, right? You don't, uh, you know, occasionally you'll catch, I don't know, four or five coyotes on a, on a wolf bait in the wintertime, but they always get eight, you know, because the, the wolves will come in and eat them right away. There's huge competition there. And that's, I always make, uh, make a joke of that that's the only koi, koi wolf around is, is that pile of turd there, you know, with the, with the hair sticking out of it, right? <laughs> they don't, they don't get, get along at all. And wolves are, are extremely territorial, right? Right. Yeah, we don't we don't have anything like that here. Uh, we get the occasional bear um, wandering through, but there was up until you know fifteen years ago, nobody was even catching bobcats around here. They didn't even have a season, so um, they're, everything's kind of making a comeback here after they've been wiped out. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's been great because we've had. Uh, we actually have an elk herd in the eastern part of our state now, which is a uh, reintroduced elk from the western uh, states of the United States. And uh, bears are making a comeback. So we have an elk season, a bear season, and they reintroduced otters into our state. And uh, a lot of people don't like the otters because we have such good uh, fishing. Uh, lakes down here but the otters have absolutely flourished and we have a 10 otter limit right now uh, per trapper and i expect to see that go away in not too long yeah no take limit right off it'll be unlimited mm-hmm. yep. okay yep so in a five bobcat limit in our state and and in, that's in your lifetime that they since that was not not possible and now and now you're trapping like that Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm 32. So a lot of things are changing. That's awesome. For the better. Yeah. For the better. You know, the sportsmen have absolutely, uh, you know, funded it. That's, that's, you know, we're the only person, the trappers and the hunters and the fishermen are the only people that made that possible. Yeah, we have the same, I think we have a similar fund here in, in Canada and uh, particularly in Alberta where I am, where all of the money for the, that, uh, uh, those resources comes from hunting licenses or fishing licenses, that kind of thing. And then, you know, you, you'll be up in the, in the mountains hiking and, and hunting and, and along comes some tourists, gorbies we call them, just tourists out wandering around. And then the, they'll report you because you're, you're up there on a, on a hiking trail w- with a gun. We're the ones that made those hiking trails possible. You know, we're the ones that, that, that keep the animals out there. They don't pay a single penny to, to go hiking. You know, uh, it's, no. it's the, uh, the hunters, trappers, and fishermen that, 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 that protect all that stuff, that provide the money for it. Yep. Yep. You're exactly right. And you, you think about, you know, the bird watchers and stuff that don't have to pay anything. 
and then just look at the amount of money that uh, the commercial fishermen, the trappers, and just the hunters. And we have out-of-state hunters that contribute a lot too. So um, it's, it's really amazing what we've been able to do in the state with just money coming solely from trapping and hunting and fishing licenses. Okay. Okay. Tell me then on your coyotes, how do you, uh, you know, what's, what's your favorite way of, of targeting coyote? Um, I'm either doing one of two things. I'm trapping them in the fence rows and snaring them. And that's using, I've just been using three thirty second inch cable and I'll use a, I think it's called a, maybe a Berkshire lock or the old, old timey, um, 90 degree washer lock. Right. And the reason I'm using those is because in the state of Kentucky, we have to use a single piece snare lock and it can't be powered by a spring or ram or anything. Uh, and then my other setup is just running dirt holes because we're not having big snows most of the time. I'll run a bridger number two uh, offset with the um, laminated jaws and um, also just the dogless. I don't, I don't have a dog on it. It's the dogless. So it has the bigger pan. Okay. What's your soil like there? We got a pretty, um, we, it varies. Kentucky, you know, we go from swamp land to sandy soil to clay soil. Uh, the area I'm trapping in is cornfields and soybean fields. So we got a pretty good dark soil. Okay. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of a clay soil, but it's, it's pretty easy to work with. Um, you can get a stake in real easy most of the time and it holds. Uh, I, I'm using those disposable stakes and I actually get mine from uh, Z trap, which is the dog proof trap that I use for raccoons. I use their stake. Okay. Tell me about dog proof. I never, I've never trapped a raccoon. I've never, I don't, I don't even know that I've ever seen a dog proof trap. Tell okay. Me. Well, they're, um, they look like a piece of pipe and it's designed to um, limit catches on dogs and cats. So the raccoon actually has to stick his hand down into the trap, um, which is a cylinder and either push or pull the trigger. The original ones were pull trigger only. So you would pretty much eliminate all your, most of your possums and cats, but now they have a push pull trigger system. So I fill up the bottom of my trap with, I used fish uh, base bait on all my raccoons and they'll stick their hand down in there and pull up and it has a spring that pins his foot to the side. Oh, okay. So are, is that regulated? Do you have to use that then for, for raccoon? No, we're, we're pretty lucky here in the States. And I think you all in Canada are light years ahead of us as far as trapping goes, just because of the, um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the work of the FIC doing right. all the humane trapping uh, regulations. Right. So in Kentucky, it's more, more wide open. We can use any traps on land as long as the 
jaw spread is six inches or less, I believe, on the foot traps. Okay. Um, Dog-proof traps are allowed. We can use conibears on land up to uh, the 220 size, and then the 330 size, or, or any, you know, 330s and 280s have to be underwater. So why is that? Uh, just the amount of dogs and cats around. Uh, we're, we don't have what you all would refer to as a bush. I would <laughs> say it's, it's more of farms. The, <laughs> The uh, the big pieces of property are getting fewer and farther in between. Oh, okay. So, so watch out for domestic animals. It's strictly for the animals then. Okay. We um actually last last year when we were checking, uh, we had a, a we caught a wolf in a three thirty. Oh. Yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah, stuck his head in. It was it was, it was like a pup, a seventy pound, seventy pound pup, right? Sixty nine pound, I think it was something like that. You know why it stuck his head in there? I'm, usually, wolves will not go anywhere near steel. I mean, that's the biggest thing to them. That's they they walk around steel. They go out all, out of their way to to avoid your stuff. So I don't know what was going on there. Why why he shoved his head in? But it killed him. Killed him good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you know, I could just imagine that would do the same thing to a dog. Oh yeah. I've I've never caught I've never caught in a domestic animal in a conibear. So um, definitely got to be smart about that. And, don't want any any bad pictures out there for the trappers right now, for sure. No, and it's it's kind of a, a a tough thing. I mean, you live in a place where there's a lot of a lot of people, and so you have to be responsible that way. And uh, I'm never I'm never sure whether government in, intervention is the proper way. I think that you know the trappers should be smart enough themselves to to uh, to lead a little bit. Uh, you talk about the the traps that we use and the fact that they're certified and all that. That was just done just because they were going to shut out shut us right out of the European market, right? The wild fur was no longer going to be uh, allowed in there, and and so we said to them, I said, well, you guys define humane and you define, you know, what 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 the you know a humane killing trap is. How quick does it have to kill? That kind of stuff. So they defined it more or less laughing at us and, and thinking that we, we would never meet it. We, we meet, met it and exceeded it. So that opened up all of that Europe market to, to fur again. You know, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, I know, I know there are people who, who don't like being regulated on, on the traps and I understand that. Um, I had to, you know, cost me a lot of money to change over in, in my traps and that kind of stuff. But I, really like the the uh, the killing traps being fast and the fact that my animals are dead when i get there the part that is so strange to me is like we have a law legislating that our snares kill and kill fast and yet you guys have leashes basically you, you you're not supposed to it's not supposed to kill right yeah we, we actually you i guess probably 10 years ago we had in the law that it had to be considered a relaxing lock, but right. they changed that to be a one piece lock. And, um, you know, I've, I've let so many dogs go out of snares and, you know, these are dogs that aren't where they're supposed to be. There's a leash law in the County. There's, you know, everybody's supposed to have their dog on a leash or in, in a cage. Um, but these are dogs that are running free in the County that I've let go. And, um, you know, I, I, I guess for what it is, 
you can't really complain about the snare laws here, but at the same time, you want people to be responsible with their dogs and uh, you know not not get mad when you have to let one go out of the snare. Well, they shouldn't be getting mad because if, they, if that if that dog wandered into one of my my kill springs or or one of my power rams or whatever, when I let him go, he's going to just flop on the ground. And be done. It's all done, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the fact that you can let that you can let it go, he should be happy for you're you're making allowances for for him not taking care of his animal. Right. Right. You know. I mean, it's that old argument: if a dog runs out in the street in the city and, and gets run over, whose fault is it? Yeah. Is it the car driver. Yeah. Well, so it's hard to reason with some people, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So, how many raccoon would you catch in a year? Um, I'll catch around a hundred, a hundred and twenty. I'm not one of the uh, big full-time trappers, so I'll before and after. Sometimes I'll take off a week or two and try to hit it really hard. Uh, but yeah, that's about the total for the year and how long is your season for to, to catch 120 raccoons um usually we wait until after the deer season is over so we'll start towards the end of november okay and then we'll go up to the end of february but by the up in february the raccoons really start to go south the fur quality does uh where they've been dinned up uh, going in and out of trees and uh, they start mating, they start getting rubbed. So we usually try to, you know, get most of our coon trapping done before the first week of February, second week of February. Okay. Yeah. So, so which is worth money? The, is the size matter is like, is a big boar worth more than a female or? Well, yeah, the, uh, I've had some 37 inch coons, which is really big for my area. Uh, up north, they'll get some you know, monsters, but we don't have big ones like that. But, you know, the, the ones I talked about that were bringing $52 back seven, eight years ago, um, they were 35, 36 inch coons. Um, color and size both matter a lot on them now, but it's just been so abysmal lately. The raccoon prices, you just wonder, you know, is it even worth it sometimes? Uh, you go well, averaging in the $30 to, you know, seven, right. it hurts. <laughs> no, no, that does. Absolutely. A lot more people are doing it strictly from the management point of view where, you know, they're being paid to, to, to manage, right? Because, you know, animals like raccoons do uh, an immense amount of damage. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're, they're nest predators. So they're hurting the turkey population. Um, they're getting in farmers um, feed and seed so a lot of these guys I'm helping out because you know I've known these farmers for you know, the better part of my life and back when the raccoons were bringing good money and I was making money on them they were letting me trap and, um, okay still trapping and not making as much money but I'm still helping them out what did raccoon fur get used for mostly um, I think it's mostly for trim. Uh, I've seen some videos recently still of the um, fur malls in China, and there's a lot of raccoon trim on okay. coats. Mm -hmm. oh, that's interesting. I... But there, there's a big variation in the in the raccoons. So you got 
you got like the the silver tip ones are going to be worth the most money. That's kind of the best color. Is that the one in the middle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. Nobody can see it, but there's there's a huge variation. Oh yeah, and we, then some we, of the we can see the the one on the right, our right looks black. The one in the middle yeah, looks that, is is very silverish looking, and the one on the left is brown. Mm-hmm. So the the one on the left, a, a lot of times I think those would be used for dyeing. So oh, okay. yeah, I've I've had some raccoons dressed and dyed and used in some of my own personal garments, but the silver ones are going to be your money. And, and the one on the right is what they would call a fisher coon. Really? So that would be um, just the, the color and the, the fur. It's, it's kind of more of a, the, the fur texture seems different on those coons, but it's called a fisher raccoon. It's just a, a really dark raccoon. So when you talk about the, the size, 35 inch or whatever, what, what, what is that dimension that you're talking about? Is that from the nose to the tip of the tail or? Uh, no, from the nose to the base, um, base of the tail. Oh, okay. What would a raccoon that size weigh? Uh, 35 inch or you're probably looking 18 to 20 pounds. Okay. Yeah. So, but there's, I think uh, probably something that would really interest your interest your listeners would be the density of fur bears down here okay because we have such a warm climate and such long growing seasons and so much agriculture you know you can catch 20 coons on 20 acres you know it's just unreal yeah um i i just think of a place i have that i trap every year that's 60 acres and I can go in there on the first night and catch 10 raccoons. Wow. Every year. Yeah. Every year. So it's good. And it's, and it's because they have the corn to eat. They have the waterway there to pick, you know, crawfish. And, you know, they're eating crawfish and snakes, and snails and everything. So, so what's your po- population of coyotes like? I think you could catch as many coyotes as you wanted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I wonder what somebody like uh, Seneca could do if he came down here. You know, well, there's I mean, that young fellow in, in down there in the U S that uh, he's been footholding this year and he was hoping to hit a thousand footholding. I've been trying to get him on the, on the podcast. I don't know whether he, he, he made it or not. He was close last I heard, but. Yeah. I think he, I think he was in the nine hundreds, but I don't think he made it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's, um, I think if you had enough time and could cover the ground, I think you could catch a thousand coyotes. That's a lot of coyotes. Wow. That's yeah. a lot. But you guys, like the way that we target coyotes here is we put out a bait, you know, and, and we snare or trap off of the bait or snare and trap quite often. Do you, are you guys allowed to do baits or? Yeah, we can, but I just don't think it would be as effective here. Um, we have, cause one reason is, that, you know, we don't get a real good freeze. I think we'd get, um, I don't know. I think it just turned into a big mess and we still have, um, a lot of buzzards and a lot of other, uh, junk animals, you know, coming in. So we have possums and skunks and 
things that you might not want to catch coming in and knocking down your coyote snares, I'd say. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, ravens and mm -hmm. things like Martin and Fisher and, and those kind of things will, will come into a bait a lot too. So you set back from them. Like my, my coyote snares might be 30 yards from my bait, but they have a habit of, of following their own trails, right? And so then you, you set the snares on the trails without having snow though. You guys have got to have a good eye, don't you? If you're going to be, if you're going to uh, snare a trail. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, you really learn something when the snow's on, but we don't get very many learning opportunities. <laughs> yeah. The, the, a lot of the snaring we do is, um, in fences where you can really funnel them down. Okay. Um, and, you know, in drainages or where they're caught crossing creeks. So you, you really got to kind of work with the mud too. That's our snow, I guess you'd say. Oh, uh, It's not very easy to get around in sometimes, but you really can do some tracking, um, you know, in the mud, going through the fences. So on a coyote, uh, people tell me that they are a heck of a thing to skin and, and uh, flesh. Okay. Yes, no. Uh, I don't, I don't really like skinning and fleshing them. No, I'd rather, I'd rather put up coons because they're a lot, they're a lot quicker. Um, you know, oh, so said a coon, coon in a couple of minutes, uh, two or three minutes. Yeah. Right. And, right. Uh, coyote. Uh, I, I winch all my coyotes off. Okay. I have an electric winch in my shop. So I've never timed myself on a coyote, but that winch is just a shoulder and back saver, I think. Oh, I agree. I agree. I use, uh, I actually don't use a winch as much on, on a coyote. I use it on wolves and I use it on otters. Like, oh yeah. Otters do not want to give up their, their hide around here. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, and you all have some huge otters. I saw a picture of you with a monster one time. Yeah. Well, every year I get ones over 30 pounds, but my biggest is 34 pounds. Yeah. You know? That's a, uh, my brother had a 26 pound otter this year and I thought it looked like a, you know, a seal or something. It was so big. But then I saw you holding one of those huge ones. I was like, golly. It's funny. They, they, the where on my line, there's uh, not a lot of what you call game fish. There's some, a uh, little bit of Northern Pike, that kind of stuff, but there's a lot of minnows, stickleback oh, yeah. minnows and, and that kind of stuff. And when the, you start getting into, uh, you know, like a month ago, and there'll be little, uh, the, the otters can work out uh, an open spot in the water or, or find it an open spot, you know, in the ice. And then the minnows will con uh, congregate in there because they're, they're trying to get air, right? Because mm. they're, they're, there's just no air in, uh, underneath. And it will be just like, like the minnows are, are like four inches of icing on top of that, that water. And the, the otters are in there just, it's the funniest thing to watch them because they come up into it. They, the head pokes out and then they just start eating like a cow there and they'll, there'll be, there'll be minnows dancing on top of their head and falling off. <laughs> it's no wonder they get so fat. Yeah. That's awesome. But anytime that, uh, you know, I mean, they're a weasel and, and probably the most athletic of, of all the weasels, but anytime they're as fat as, as those are, I, I weighed the, the one this year, the, my biggest one this year was just, just a little bit over 30 pounds and I took 11 pounds of fat off of it. <laughs> yeah yeah it's hard to believe isn't it yeah yeah it's unreal that's fatter than a bit than a uh, good beaver is yeah 
Well, you on since you've never handled raccoons, they they are really fat and greasy, especially at the beginning of the season. They'll use some of that during the winter, but they, you know, you'll have I don't know. They might a twenty pound raccoon might have five pounds of fat on him. I don't know. Really? Yeah, they're they're pretty they're pretty fat, and they'll store it. You know, they they're really gorging themselves when they can. My raccoons here, it seems like when the temperature first gets down in the 20s, um, below freezing, they'll slow down. They'll den up maybe for a few days. and But when it warms back up and they get out, I mean, they just run hard. And that's when you can really catch them. Okay. And so they you target them alongside of water mostly or edges of fields or? Yeah, I, I kind of do a two-pronged attack on coyotes and um, coons too. I'll, I'll run my dog proofs to keep the raccoons out of some of my dirt holes and I'm trapping on the land but I'm following the long running barriers like the creeks, um, the roads, the ridges um, and the, you know the bottoms that are real thick cover so I'm following all these landmarks that that I know that the raccoons will follow. They'll stick more to the cover. And then the coyotes, you know, I'll focus on them and the funnel points, the pinch points. Uh, I use, uh, run all my traps off of a four-wheeler because um, I've never seen anybody on a snow machine. You know, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what that, what that even looks like. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're running four wheelers all winter. Uh, I I can show you a, a couple of snow machines that have uh, uh, over fifteen thousand kilometers on them, <laughs> <laughs> and and they're the two thousand and fourteens. Well, but uh, you just you just mentioned the otter being a weasel. It uh, made me think something else. Or weasels they know they don't turn to white they stay brown You're really yep i guess there's no snow to to, to yep. camouflage in right yep so which weasel do you have one we have um oh, it's a, i guess it's a is it short-tailed weasel is that yeah 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 and so we have a, we the the smallest is is the least weasel then there's the short tail and then the long tail Hey, Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased to announce the launch of our exclusive community, Trapping Inc. Nation. We've created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference and censorship of social media companies. By making this community subscriber exclusive, we can share thoughts and ideas freely without the censored photos, shadow banning, and deplatforming of Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Trolls will be a thing of the past, as not one will spend a nickel to protest on a paid site. Here you're going to get to see the new Trapping Inc. videos months ahead of YouTube and Amazon Prime availability. New podcasts will premiere here for a week as well, and we are going to be sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting, as well as our new TV series, Married to the Hunt. The forum is here for everyone to post on and interact. You can message us directly, post and interact with all the other subscribers, we ask that you be respectful and helpful. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level of building a community of shared interest and interacting with you, our fans. Who knows where we can go from here? 
To sign up, just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account, then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe. $3 per month is the minimum fee we can charge, and that is where we have set it. That simple. Just go to locals.com, open a free account, and then subscribe to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about our way of life and the responsible and ethical management of the wild resources. And now back to today's show. Yeah, I think we have the short tail. Um, they're they're not, not people don't trap for them. They don't focus on them because they, you know, they n- never turn white. But I've I've caught one weasel and a two twenty uh, yeah. trapping on a log crossing. So it's, we were we were focusing on minks and coons and uh, you know got these deep creeks and they're running across the logs and lo and behold catch a weasel but that's one in about 17 or 18 years i catch between 50 and 60 of them a winter yeah yeah Yeah. and not not targeting them other than that my i have uh, bait stations that i set up for wolverine and lynx and when the weasel populations are high well uh, you might have a dozen weasels working that that uh, bait station and they don't eat all that meat they they chew off chunks and they pack it away and they hide it and it's just hilarious because i mean they're, they're going everywhere but i had one bait station this this year that i took a dozen weasels off of you know i wow. just i just had boxes with uh with rat traps in them right and i don't know whether they were whether my bait was attracting them to go into the box i think more than likely they were going in to hide stuff in there right because they're you know that's that's they're always looking for places to hide, right? And hide stuff. You know, they've, they've just stole a chunk of meat now, but um, I hang lynx carcasses in my, uh, in these bait stations for, for uh, attracting lynx and, and wolverine and probably like a half, a half of a, a lynx. Uh, I could do that every week and the weasels are packing it all off. <laughs> yeah. That's um, my, my bait of choice in my, um, dirt holes. It's a commercially uh, produced bait. I don't know if I, uh, probably nobody up there knows much, but it's uh, about uh, Hoosier Trapper Supply. But that's who I get my uh, top Charlie. dog predator bait. Oh, cool. Charlie's yeah, going to uh, be on next week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a good guy. He's he's about the trapper that I can watch. He's He's got a pretty good YouTube channel. He's the trapper that I can watch and Pretty much everything he says, I can agree with to yeah. an extent. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of trappers that I don't agree with a lot of things on, <laughs> but he seems like he does things pretty much the way I would. But he has a top dog predator bait, and uh, I think it's a bobcat based bait. That's what it smells like to me. And, really? Uh, that, that's what I'm using in my dirt holes. Okay. So it, it's a curiosity lure then? Or is it a. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Meat. They're they're hungry for it. Yeah, I think oh, okay. I think it's yeah. They're they're definitely they get after it, and you can tell the raccoons will even get in the hole and pull it out. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm using on my coyotes. Well, that's interesting. And do you use like a long range call lure then too? No, usually I don't feel like it's cold enough that I need to. Oh, okay. Yeah, if we get some real cold spells. Um, you know, I have used some that has some skunk in it, Yep. but most of the time I don't feel like it's, uh, it's that cold, but I do use some, one of the old lures, a Hall Baker's Widowmaker. I use that 
Um, sometimes I'll use it up in the tree near my set, and sometimes I'll put it in the hole, and then I'll use red fox urine. Um, okay. That I'm still using red fox urine because I do have the occasional red fox in the area that I'm trying to catch too. So you got a good year going on. How many how many coyote sets you got out? How many uh, raccoon sets you got out at once? Oh, I'll um, I'll run up to 120 dog proofs. I have about 10 dozen dog proofs I'll run, um, and then I'll have uh, probably run about 30 or 40 footholds, and then you know the snares. I'm hanging up in the fence rows. I'd say maybe 20 to 40 snares at, at, all at the same time. Uh, the thing in with with the coons is you got to keep moving though. So um, say that? I go into um, it's just it seems like the you get them all the first couple nights the catch really falls off. So I'll go into a couple hundred acre farm uh, set real heavy. 40 traps or something. The first night I'll catch a dozen coons. The second night I'll catch six. Third night I'll catch three or four and then on to the next farm. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. High grading. We, when we, we, we do similar things uh, like that with Martin, uh, you, yeah. you go in and you set up and in, in two or three checks, same thing. You know, you, you may, you, if you have out, 20 traps, you might get a dozen the first time, and then eight, and then four, and, and then you move on. But what you're yep. doing is you... I don't know what happened here. Hang on. <laughs> get rid of that. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. But, but all you're doing is is, is you're getting... I, I refer to it as the locals because... We, I don't know what your fur is like there, but Martin have um, do a couple of different migrations during during the year. The first is, is the fall dispersal, and that usually happens just at the beginning of uh, of November. Is our depending on weather, but is the start of our uh, our Martin season, and so the you know the they'll be dispersing and the young of the year will be dispersing and and uh, covering a lot of a lot of uh, terrain. And then there'll be another one that sometimes happens in January. Depends on on the weather, you know. If you get a nice uh, a nice big chinook for a few days and things are melting and warm, they'll move again again good there. And, and if you're you're set in the right places when they migrate, you catch a lot of a lot of martin. Yep. Yeah, it's a. I'd like to catch a martin or a fisher or a you know a lynx, some one of the northern animals because uh, you know I've caught every species in the state of fur bear um, but we don't have uh, you know no wolves no badgers lynx fish or marten um, we just pretty much here where we have red and gray foxes coyotes raccoons possums uh, minks um, skunks we got we have a striped skunk and beavers, otters, and muskrat. Yeah, we, I'll, I'll catch quite a few muskrats in ponds. That's uh, besides raccoons and coyotes. The muskrats is probably the next thing on my list. Right. Of right. just using using the colony cages. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think uh, five by five colony cages is what what we use. It's just what uh, find the runs, and sometimes we get 
some good clear ice where you can see their bubbles under the ice. Yeah, yeah. That's time to mark, you know, if we get one of those days, mornings, uh, we'll go out and mark as many ponds as we can with flags and then you know, go back and set the ponds later. We never get those days here. <laughs> <laughs> There's always yeah. lots of snow. <laughs> mm -hmm. Tell me about possum. I, there are no possum in Alberta. Everything else that you've mentioned, we have. Oh, except for gray fox. We don't have gray fox. We have, you know, we have the badger and, and the and the bobcat and all that. They're all south. Raccoon is south of me as well. Uh, what else? We have we have skunks on my trap line, but they they're only out in the in the summertime. They're not not out during the trapping season because they're hibernating then. But I know I know absolutely nothing either about a possum. Uh, they're not well thought of as far as I can figure. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're uh, they are definitely the most unique animal I think we have here because they're, they have a pouch, they're a marsupial. Oh, cool. Yeah. So their, their young ones are born and then they actually climb up into the pouch, I guess the same as a uh, kangaroo would do. Yeah. And should have teats in there to feed them. When... Mm -hmm. Yep. So, so if you're a nuisance trapping in the summer, you can, you can see these um, possums that, have their pouch still open you know if the young ones have just dispersed or, or whatever that pouch will be huge maybe the size you can fit a, a softball or baseball in there and that's where the young ones have just you know got out of the pouch and uh, are living outside of the pouch but they d don't quote me on this which uh, i could you know google it real quick and find out but they have the most teeth of any mammal, I think any land mammal. It might be just in the North America, but they have, I think they have like 50 teeth or something. No possibly. kidding. Yeah. So they're, they're called grinners. They uh, sit there with their mouth open when you, when they're scared, uh, they'll kind of just roll over to the side, not play, you know, dead completely, but they're pretty motionless unless it's a big old, rank one you know big old male they'll fight you but most of the time you just pick them up okay how big of an animal are they oh they're they're smaller than a raccoon so i don't know you might get some big ones be 12 pounds if i had to guess oh, no uh, kidding. i don't i don't put them up in in years that the fur is high i can sell them or you know I'll give them to some younger trappers that are wanting to get some experience putting up fur. They might bring 80 bucks, but most of the time they're in the dollar fifty, two dollar range. Right. So, yeah, I've never just, seen uh, anything made with possum fur. <laughs> no, I, I really don't know what they use it for. <laughs> <laughs> so what do they eat? They have all those teeth, they must they must eat little mammals yeah. or whatever, huh? Yeah, they're just kind of opportunist. So they're they're getting in um they're also getting in the nest like the raccoons they're hunting for little invertebrates uh, just pretty much anything they can get their hands on uh, they'll raid chicken coops they'll get in um eat at chicken eggs and kill chickens okay but, yeah they'll they'll eat corn too like a raccoon and yeah but they're, they're just opportunists they i don't know 
I don't know how to target possums. I guess just to pretend like you're trying to catch raccoons. <laughs> they always get, you know, they're they're set ruiners. <laughs> so they're not they're not really very smart, but there's lots of them. Is that is that the problem? Yeah, there there are lots of them. Yeah, there's uh, they they must reproduce in mass, I guess, because they're everywhere. They're thick. Do you have favorite traps? Like a favorite brand? Oh. Or you, you'd mentioned a number two offset, but you yeah. didn't say what what brand or. Yeah, I I use Bridgers. Um, okay. Yep, on my foot traps. Um, yeah, that's that's just what I've had the most luck with. I don't. A lot of people are using the. Um, uh, what are they called? Um, well, they're, they're using a MB650 yeah. for the coyotes. Yeah, those are the those are the real popular ones right now. Well, um, that's a that's a four coil, and it's it's quite a bit bigger than than that number two that you're using, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I I have some four coil number twos, but um, I think it's a little bit overkill myself. I don't think it's uh, you need a four coil to hold a coyote as long as you know you got good springs. I've as far as I can tell, I you know, if it's a good catch, I'm holding the coyote and a two coil. A lot of people don't understand and they're so against the offset because that gap is in there. Right. And they figure yeah. that with that gap that they can pull their foot out. Well, no, because they, they actually, the spring closes, closes up a lot tighter and, and uh, there's less chance than pulling out than there is with a, with a uh, non offset trap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like the offset. I uh, feel like I get tight catches and, um, lot less foot damage especially with the laminated jaws yeah we try to do everything we can to be as humane as we can so that's just one little step and they they're not that much more expensive and i think it it helps the animal but it also helps us so well i i know for a fact i mean i've been doing this a very long time i'm 60 years old now and we used to use you know number fours number fives double springs those kind of things right mm -hmm. and you had a lot of different chew offs and ring offs and that because the animal's foot would freeze, you know, it loses circulation, it freezes. And then, you know, it, it chews it off, doesn't know what it's what it done. Since I've been using uh padded jaw or, or la the uh, offset laminates and that, I have never lost an animal. Not right. one of them has ever chewed out or has, has ever wrung out. Right. Right. So for yeah. me, it's worthwhile that way. Cause I mean, a good Western coyote goes for a couple of bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish we had those. <laughs> Bring some down here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they end up looking like those German shepherds that you catch, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 But you know, that's if I catch a two hundred dollar coyote, it's a it's a black one that's sold to a taxidermist. Is that a fact, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I've sold some um I'd say about two hundred fifty dollars, maybe top. I've sold some black coyotes for. Um, we get some unique looking ones, but you know, still, even including those, your average is slow, just because of the coarse haired. You know, yeah, we don't have real thick haired coyotes either, and they're not good colors. So they're What's browns and orange. And it's funny. Because that's why I asked you. Uh, you know, with the, the raccoon, what was worth money? Because like uh, our male fishers are worth a lot less than the females are. 
And the females right. are a lot smaller, but she's much silkier and, and uh, softer fur, right? Um, it's interesting. And yet with Martin, it makes no difference whether it's male or female, other than the males are way bigger. And so they bring better money, right? Right. Like that 2013, we've seen some hellacious Martin, Martin prices, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I know if I was making money down here in Kentucky, the people, you know, northern states and uh, anywhere in Canada were making good money on fur that year. <laughs> we don't have the best fur down here. You uh, said you took up a, another job in the fur industry? Yeah, well, um, since NAFAS, you know, going through their insolvency procedures or uh, bankruptcy, as we'd call it here in the States. We do, uh, too. <laughs> <laughs> we do, too, and we also call it, you owe us money, you buggers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they owe me a little bit. But um, anyway, I'm, I'm picking up fur for fur harvesters in Kentucky and Tennessee. I thought that would be the best way for me to help out some trappers. And, uh, you know, the agents do make a little bit of money, but um, it's a percentage. It's not much. But right. I'm going to take um, furs up to Wisconsin to the fur harvesters, uh, U.S. Depot. And uh, so we, we're going to pick up on... We got our last pickup coming up in May because we had everything canceled or postponed yeah. because of the COVID. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that really upsetting the world down there too? Oh, there's, uh, I think people are, have lost a little bit more than they should have. But uh, Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have 4 million people in the province and I think we've had three or 4,000 people that have been, that, that have had it, that they've tested and had it and we've, I don't know, 60 people have died or something. And I don't mean to be flippant or, or, or disrespectful or anything, but they're all very old people. Most of them, you know, they're, I think the average age is 83 years old. They're, you know, they were waiting for something to come along basically. Right. right? You know, and Mm -hmm. usually it's, it's the influenza that, 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 that kills them, but it's something new and it's, it's caused some, some issues for sure. I know that we had, some runaway things that were happening uh, with fur prices and that as far, you know, going into the, the most recent auction was, was looking to be very, very good. Um, Some of the, you know, when NAFA went down, everybody was having a fit about what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, uh, where are we going to sell our fur? And I said, well, you know, vacuum, you know, never sticks around, you know, the nature abhors a vacuum. There'll be things that move in. And there were so many fur buyers moved in. And well, there was a lot of people that sold coyotes here. It was easy to pull a $165 cash on the barrel head selling to a fur buyer, right. you know, here in, in November, December, and January, you know, before the, we ended up with the problem with the, with the virus. That. Like, I mean, there was um, GFW from, from down in the States was, was up here they, for the first time ever. They, they set up uh, across the four uh, Western provinces uh, a buying network and, and they're buying everything. They're buying, mm-hmm. buying it all. Yeah. Uh, Dave Buick up there. Uh, yes. I think he's, he's a, he's a friend of mine. I, I know through NAFA, but yep. a good guy. I think he's associated with Gronwald now. Um, he's, I've, he's I've running it here. Gronwald. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've sold to Gronwald. I, I sold him some fur this year. I'm not, uh, one of the guys that are going to say, you know, only, 
only ship to fur harvesters or only nope. Nope. Uh, sell to grown walls. I'm a, uh, I'm more of a trapper than I am, I guess, a businessman. <laughs> well, sell it when you can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've done a lot of different business and and jobs in my in my life, but you're always looking to max maximize what you're selling, right? And about the time, you, you, I remember one old fella, friend I, I had, he says, you know, you should change your insurance company for your vehicle every three years. Because at that point, he says, they're starting to take you for granted. You know, and same thing with your, with your cell phone coverage and, and that kind of stuff. Because, you know, you just got to keep, keep them on their toes. Um, how many trappers would there be in Kentucky? Oh, without looking up anything i'd say maybe a couple hundred uh like actual fur trappers that are going to really that few any amount yeah um before before the prices really dropped off there was a lot in the 70s and 80s um coon hunt coon hunting with dogs was a big thing down here it always has been um but there's not even that many coon hunters anymore um I think it's a lot of it's a lifestyle change more than it is the prices for some of the younger folks. Um, but there, what I like to see is that there is a lot, there's a new generation, I think that, um, of people that can kind of think for themselves, uh, with the, you know, every, you have all the information you need at your fingertips. Absolutely. I don't know if it's just personally or if it's actual actually happening on a societal level, but I think there is a group of people out there that um, are seeing trappers as a uh, valuable resource and as a humane, um, you know, tool to control wildlife, but also as that fur is a renewable resource that can be um, managed and um, produced every year. Yep. So, all we're dealing in is the surplus, you know. All right. You know, we're we're, right. we're not we're not doing any damage or danger to the uh, the species or or to their populations. You know, we're not endangering them. We're just dealing in that in that surplus because it's nature's way. You know, on average, it takes uh, between one and ten percent of uh, of the young of the year to to survive for that population to carry on. That's a lot of other animals that are dying. You know, mm-hmm. we're just, we're just looking to make use of them. That's it. And that and the fact, and uh, you know, things like, like uh, coyotes and raccoons and, and skunk and all that all have to be managed, you know, and I've said this many, many, many times before, but you know, in Alberta, we ship over 40,000 coyotes a year to, to uh, the auctions. The day that we don't have the trappers doing that for free. Do you know what that's, how many millions of dollars that's going to cost? And like, it's unbelievable, oh. you know? Yep. Yep. And I guess the, the main thing that the animal rights people don't understand about that is, um, that we're removing those animals when every single one of them is an adult. So if you have the trappers not doing that job, you're going to have to have nuisance trappers removing them year round where you have pups getting caught, you have mothers being caught and, you know, you can't explain that to people, but which is more humane, you know? <laughs> well, that's just it. Like, I mean, I deal with on my registered trap line out in the big bush, I have uh, oil companies that I deal with. And of course, beavers become a great 
problem for them. They're, you know, the beaver dams up a culvert and floods the road, wash the road, all that kind of stuff. And they can clean those culverts day after day. They can haul in an, an excavator, shovel log through and clean it up. And, you know, and that just costs them a thousand dollars for that day to, to, to clean that out and then come back and do it the next day. Cause beavers are pretty industrious. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but I refuse. There's there there are dates that I will not. You know, like from from the uh, end of May through to till uh, August. You know, and uh, then the young are on their own well. I won't. I won't go. I won't trap people. I won't. Tell, and I, they say, well, we need to have it done. I, I'll explain to them. You want those little ones don't swim for the first month. You know, they're sitting there waiting for their mother to come back. I said, you want that? I. <laughs> I can't tell you how many different oil company consultants and pushes and that have, have, have looked at me and said, well, now you make me feel bad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I do some nuisance trapping though, too. I'm really interested in moles. Oh yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's kind of funny. You know, there's, we have, I don't, do y'all have moles up there? You know, we have pocket gophers, we call them, which I guess is a mole. Uh, uh, no, it's a little different. Yeah, but you, our, get these, you get these mounds of of dirt, like on on a mm -hmm. a grassy hillside or whatever. There'll be mounds of dirt and, and with no no visible hole or anything. Yes, yeah, the moles uh, pretty much, I guess, ninety nine percent of their life are underground. So I'm, uh, they're 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 worm eaters. That's what oh, they okay. eat. Okay. Yeah. So that's what that's what I'm kind of getting into. I want to learn um, about trapping moles and. How cleaning up people's yards from moles um there's a few different kinds of traps there's um there's a half like a half barrel trap that's completely under the ground there's um some they call it a patang from france it's uh goes in each way of the run and then there's the old uh, the archaic ones that have the spears that go down <laughs> and kill them so uh but yeah the the moles um they're kind of, I guess they're kind of like a pocket gopher, but they're more, uh, they eat grubs and worms and stay under the ground. They cause trouble in residential areas for you guys, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, residential areas. And if anybody's really ever interested in moles, they're fascinating because uh, it, this is kind of taking a turn. <laughs> but uh, it's okay, the, we're allowed. <laughs> the mole catchers of England, if you ever just look up kind of their history, because uh, they have, like, for hundreds of years, that was, you know, people's job and sole source of income was catching moles in England. <laughs> yeah, so, like, the farmers have moles in their fields, and, but, yeah, they're, they're interesting creatures, and they're kind of, kind of tricky to catch sometimes. I can imagine when you can't see the set that you're making, or do yeah. you dig, do you dig, dig open, or what, what, how do you, I mean, they, they live uh, underground, so. Yeah, I chop chop a little hole, uh, maybe like a six inch by four inch hole. Okay. And, uh, you you make your set, but it's kind of it's kind of like trapping, but upside down. You want everything bedded real well, but the instead of coming from the top, the animal's coming from the bottom, pushing up. So it's kind of it's kind of different, but it's interesting. That is. How how many moles do you catch in a in a spot? Is there just one well, causing the problem, or is there a bunch? It's it's hard to tell by just looking at the top, but you know, I've caught up to ten moles in a quarter acre lot. Wow! Yeah. So they're um, and they they go after the healthy lawns because that's where all the worms are. 
And how many, you know, like how far do they go down or how, how long of, of a tunnel do they have? Like, I mean, does uh, it never ends. The, yeah. Their, their nests are really deep down. You'd have to really dig for those, but sometimes they have runs right on top of the soil where you can see, you know, you'll step and you'll sink a little bit. And those are the surface runs that they're feeding in. And then you have these runs that are sometimes six and eight inches down that that's just where they're moving underneath the ground. So you have to have a probe to find the runs. Um, it's it's kind of like trapping, but with blindfold on. <laughs> it's so, yeah. <laughs> I never thought of it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty fun, but I know, um, I guess you bowls, bowls are another, uh, they're about the same size, but voles come sometimes use the old mole runs. Yeah. Um, so we have lots of yeah. vole here, but here you have the mouse is a, is a deer mouse and it's got a really long tail and it's like a kangaroo mouse. That was, mm -hmm. that's, that's our actual mice here. And then we have voles, which are part of the, the mouse family, but we always called them a field mouse and they're okay. a fat thing with a short tail, right? Right, and, and we have the redback vole. So I, right now they're moving really, really big because as the snow comes off of the, uh, off the lawn and that, then you see where they've been go going through the top of your your lawn in the thatch of your lawn all winter long, right? And so they're mm -hmm. dispersing everywhere now because they're losing their cover with the snow. But you know, you, a vole is that big. You know, he, he's he's big, big meal. You can see why that that's the number one favorite meal for a Martin. You know. He gets that. Right. He's set for the week. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty interesting. Uh, that, that reminds me too. Like random things coming up. I caught a what we call a field mouse. They have a long tail. Uh, caught one in a one ten once, going on a log crossing. <laughs> I don't know how he managed it, but he uh, <laughs> he must have been playing on the trigger or something. But I caught a, a field mouse in a one ten. Uh, I'll set those. Uh, 110s or 220s on the log crossings where the minks or raccoons will, you know, run across, take an easy trip. Right. Caught a field mouse in one. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, sir, I have enjoyed this. Uh, we have talked and talked and talked. Uh, we overcame our, our technical difficulties. Uh, it's glad to be able to reach out and make a little trip to Kentucky, at least uh, by, by over the internet. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah, I appreciate you. Uh, it's it's really always interesting talking to the trapper from uh, foreign land. Not <laughs> that we're that far away, but the animals and the way we trap is totally different, and it's always enlightening. It's always always fun. It is so much fun. Okay, I thank you, and I want to thank everybody else for joining us. And uh, we'll have this up in a couple of days. We'll going to put it up first on the on our new uh, exclusive site trapping Inc. nation thanks a lot man take care take care bye